All right. Well, you guys ready to roll? <laughs> Very quiet all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah. Well, good to have you. Uh, and um, why don't you grab your Bible? Let's get rolling. We have uh, some, some work to do. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 25. So why don't you turn there at this time? Can you believe it? We're out of chapter 24. It's been there for several weeks. Matthew chapter 25. We are in the middle here of the study of the Olivet Discourse. Uh, the answer that Jesus gave to his disciples. We're gonna see in the other gospels that it was four of the disciples specifically that Jesus is talking to in this little discourse, or I should say big discourse, because um, Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is answering the question the disciples put out to him and saying, um, you know, when uh, is the end? Uh, what are the signs of your coming, your second coming? And when, when's the end of the world? That's what they asked Jesus there in Matthew 24, the very beginning. And then the rest of those red letters, Jesus answers their questions and he takes great care and time to answer with great detail. And that's why we've been kind of camping out because boy, when Jesus talks about the end times, the last days, it sure matches some of the descriptions of the days we're approaching and seeing right now. And so it, it makes us excited to look for and, and watch. And that's really the theme of Matthew 24, the first half of this Olivet Discourse. Watch, be, be ready. He says over and over again, watch and be ready. Uh, don't, don't let it come and surprise you, uh, the, the coming, the second coming of Christ. No man knows the day or the hour, but you will know the seasons and the times, Jesus says. So that's why Matthew 24, is. But we've taken time with it, in Matthew chapter 25, he's now gonna enter into a bunch of parables um, about that. It's not disconnected. Some people mistakenly disconnect the parables of chapter 24 with uh, the, the thing that he just taught in chapter, uh, he's about to teach in 25, these parables, what he taught in 24. So they're linked. It's about, these parables are about the second coming of Christ. That's the context. Um, and so no matter what your eschatological view of end times and prophecy and all that, it, most of us agree that Jesus does say, watch and be ready. Um, and so what does that look like? What does it look like to be ready and watching for the coming of the Lord? Well, that's what these parables describe. What a servant of the Lord should be doing um, while we're waiting and watching and ready for his return. Uh, so this is very practical and very important for us. By the way, Peter jumped on this. We saw this last week. Remember when we were in 2 Peter chapter three talking about the end times? And Peter, I think, borrows from what Jesus taught. Um, and we saw this verse last week. Um, there in 2 Peter chapter three, uh, Peter, after talking about the last days, the end time, even the destruction of the world, Peter said, wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, he says, looking for the return of Christ is what Second Peter's about. Um, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. We're supposed to be diligent. Why? Because we're looking for. Seeing that you're looking for the coming of Christ, read the rest of chapter three of Second Peter. Um, we're supposed to be diligent. And, and he even says, what manner of men and women should we be? How should we act? What should we do um, in light of the fact that Christ is coming again someday? Um, and he says, here, be diligent. Jesus is gonna even be more direct on what that diligence looks like. And so we're gonna look at just one of these uh, parables uh, this morning. Um, Wednesday night, we'll see the, the parable of the 10 virgins. And what are those 
those parables uh, have to do with the end times and the second coming. We'll look at that on Wednesday. But I'd like to share with you the parable of the talents this, uh, this morning. And um, it's found in Matthew 25, starting in verse 14. Let's read. Matthew 25, 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had two, he also gained another two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid the Lord's money, his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents saying, Lord, thou deliverest to me five talents and behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers and then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. In other words, the bank. You should have put it in the bank and I could have got at least interest. Verse 28, therefore, take therefore the talent from him and give it to him which hath the 10 talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given and he that hath abundance but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Kind of a brutal ending to this cute little parable. The guy ends up, well, where do you think he ends up? Anybody wanna say it? Can you say that in church? Yeah, you just did, and we should. Um, people that don't, preach and teach about hell are missing out on a huge part of what the Bible teaches. And this is one of those examples. This guy ends up in a place where it's outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's when the Bible uses that, we're pretty much talking about hell. Now herein lies a problem, this brutal ending. And what's the meaning of this parable? And what do all these things mean? A parable, by the way, is using that which is known in story form, people that understand kind of what's being said, to explain something that may not be understood. Using that which is known to explain something that's not understood. So this, this, the people are supposed to kind of discern, what is this all about? 
There's, there's a servants, and there's a master of the servants who gave them talents, and, and then this one guy ends up digging a hole. What, what's all this mean? Um, well, we need to sort of discern what this is by breaking it down carefully, and I think we'll kind of see. Um, I've heard many sermons on this, by the way, and maybe you have too. If you've been a Christian for a long time, you'll hear the sermons on the talents. And a lot of times the sermons kind of go like this. You know, there's the Lord who's the, you know, gonna give you the talent. And if you use your talent, your singing or your guitar playing or your business acumen or your ability to do this or whatever or that, uh, you gotta use those talents. And, and then the Lord will multiply those talents and use them even greater and give you more responsibility and more talent if you use that talent. And, and if you do that, then when, when you stand before the Lord, the Lord will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into heaven uh, because you used those talents that God gave you. And, uh, and that's pretty much the thing. Use those talents and you go to heaven, enter in thou good and faithful servant. Now that's where a lot of pastors will end the sermon because they don't wanna really deal with the third dude. Because doctrinally, that doesn't really fit with the rest of the Bible. Because if you believe the talent means your talent, um, like your giftings, your abilities, and you better use them, and if you don't use them, you're gonna go to hell. <clears throat> Does that line up with scripture? Do you go to heaven by your works or your abilities to do stuff? Um, are you saved by um, your works? No, the Bible says very clearly, Ephesians 2.8 is the champion scripture that makes it really clear. <clears throat> you and I are saved by grace, through faith. It's not of your works, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, um, uh, not of works, lest any man should boast. Bible makes it clear on that. Yeah, but Brett, James says faith without works is dead. Yes, it's not works that saves you though. You're saved by grace. And then when you're saved by grace, grace that truly saves will also be, the byproduct will be good works. That's part of the deal. I think we'll actually see a little bit of that in this parable uh, as we look at it a little closer. <clears throat> but we're saved by grace through faith, period. The Bible's clear on that one. <clears throat> so, so you have to understand, we might be misinterpreting, <clears throat> excuse me, if that's what we're saying, that use your talents for God and he'll say enter into heaven, but if you don't use your talents for God, you're going to hell. Well, that doesn't work. So what are we talking about? Well, um, according to the Bible, um, we have to kind of be careful uh, when it comes to these um, these um, parables. And so let's take a closer look, um, not only at the talents themselves, but also the characters of the story. Let's just make sure we're, we're rightly dividing the word here. So the first thing we look at is the characters. Who's, first of all, who's the master, the Lord of the servants? Um, it starts out there in verse 14 saying, you know, there was a man. Um, it says, the kingdom of heaven is as, a, is as a man traveling into far country. And then, you know, he's gone for a long time and then he comes back and he reckons with each of his servants. Um, and this is, um, this is the question, who is this uh, Lord of the servants? Well, we know this to be Jesus Christ himself. The man traveling into far country is Jesus. Remember the context here. <clears throat> Jesus is talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, he's talking about the second coming. Jesus came, was with his disciples. He says, I'm going and, and, I'm, and then I'm gonna return. And the disciples ask, what is the, the, the time of your coming? When's it gonna be? What's it gonna be like? So this parable is continuing to answer the question about Jesus' second coming. Um, the, the, the Lord of the servants, he's gonna leave. And by the way, we know this not just because it's in a parable, but because Jesus just overtly said that. Do you remember in the Gospel of John, Jesus told the disciples and said, 
Um, you know, I'm gonna leave you guys. It's good that I'm leaving you. And the disciples kind of freak out and they're all bummed out. Um, and so what happens? Jesus said, next chapter, John 13, into chapter 14, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Why would they be troubled? Because Jesus was gonna leave them. So he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you, there you may be also. That's talking about his coming, Jesus, saying I'm gonna come back for you. Um, and so it's really something we know Jesus claimed he's gonna do very clearly to the disciples, very overtly said it. But this parable is putting in sort of this, this analogy form. There's like this uh, master, the Lord over the servants. And he's there, and that, that's the first thing we, we have to understand. The man traveling into far country is Jesus who would go into heaven to prepare a place for you, and he's gonna come back. This is about the second coming of Christ. So then the next group you have to ask, who then would be the servants? Anybody wanna take a stab? Well, who are the servants in the story? Us, okay, I'm gonna say I agree with you. You're like, you. <laughs> but let me ask you, is it just us? Is it just the church? Well, this is an interesting question because the servants of the story, two of them are good servants, but one of them obviously is called by Jesus himself, the wicked servant. Hmm. And so this is, and, and let me ask you this question. This might help you. I'll give you a hint. Do Christians go to hell? This is not a hard question. Hello, <laughs> 10 o'clockers. Come on, you have coffee flowing through your veins. <clears throat> Um, do Christians go to hell? No, that's an easy one, biblically speaking. If you're a real Christian, you're not gonna go to hell. This one servant goes to hell. Would you agree with me on that one? Yes. So that's an interesting thing. Could one of these so-called servants be not a Christian if, in the allegory or in the parable? And I think the answer is yes. And, and there's actually a truth hidden in this that I think is important. Um, this is where even the most ardent atheist they don't realize it, but they exist. The, even the atheist, did you know the atheist exists on this earth for one purpose? It's the same purpose you and I exist as Christians. We exist for one purpose. We find that purpose, by the way, in Revelation chapter four, verse 11. We were created, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. Thou hast created, and all things were created for what? Anybody? For his pleasure. He was, we were created for God's pleasure. That's what you and I exist on this planet for. Boy, when a person realizes this, changes your life. So many people are looking for you know, their reason for being. Why do I exist in the world? And if they're doing it for their own legacy or to leave a mark on the world or to get the gold watch at retirement party after 30 years of faithful service or whatever you're doing for whatever purpose, if it's not doing it to please the Lord, you will be disappointed. Your life will be disappointing to you and everyone else um, because you're missing the whole reason we exist. We exist for the pleasure of the Lord himself. And this is where people miss the whole thing. I think we're all servants of the Lord. We're supposed to, we're supposed to please him. However, in this story, you've got the faithful and good servants and then you have the wicked servant who ends up in outer darkness um, and where there's uh, you know, weeping and wailing. So you say, okay, so the servants in the story, I'm gonna say is all of humanity. 
Anybody that's a person is, is, qualifies as being called one of these servants. And so the question starts to become, which servant are you and which one am I? So you've got the, the master, the Lord of the servants, that's Jesus being pictured here. You've got the servants in this parable, which is humanity, people that are called by God, both unsaved and saved, I would say. But then the next big question in this parable is what in the world are the talents? And this is where it gets a little confusing, I'll, I'll admit. And it has to do with our English word talent mixed with the old Bible word talent, and we confuse the two. Sermons have been preached. Yeah, use your talents. And they act like, what a coincidence, the old word talent Jesus is using sort of fits. So use your talents for the Lord. But I already showed you why that doesn't work, because if, if you don't use your talent for the Lord, does that send you to hell? And the answer is no. So what is the talent? Well, first of all, it, you know, practically a talent is a unit of measure of money. And it's a lot of money. Um, it's, um, you know, the, the funny thing about a talent is it's, um, it's a, you know, most scholars argue about what exactly a talent is in Bible times in the first century. But most agree that it was at least, a, conservatively, a talent is equal to about a year's salary of a person which is a lot of money when you think about it. Let's just go crazy and say, you know, a year's salary in our times, you know, somebody is fortunate enough to have $100,000 a year. Um, and so it'd be like the master coming and giving that person, the first person got $500,000 and then left. And that guy took the $500,000, the, the, the five talents, and he invested it and he got another 500. And when the master came back, he gave him a, a solid mill. He gave him a million dollars. So that first, no wonder the master said, well done, good and faithful servant. The second dude gets $200,000 and the master comes back and gives him 400,000. The last guy gets $100,000 and he buries it in a hole and the master comes back and he's like, oh, I was afraid and good luck finding it. It's in a hole somewhere over there. You gotta dig it up still. That's really literally what the guy says. Um, so what is the talent in this? I'm just gonna tell you, it's not your talent. It's not your giftings, your abilities. However, this is where it gets kind of confusing. It is kind of linked to that a little bit. There is a link, and that's why sermons have been preached and they just kind of interchangeably, you know, God gives you talents, use your talents. And, and I understand why they do that, but it's a little bit inaccurate and I'll, and I'll show you why. And it has largely to do with, we have to figure out why does the last dude go to hell? And that's gonna help us when we discern what the talents are. So I think probably of all the parts of this parable, we really need to discern what are, the, what are the talents. And there's four clues that are given to us here in the parable that's kind of fun to discern. Let's take a look. Clue number one, what does the talent represent in this parable? Clue number one is the talents are the Lord's property. And they always have and always will be the Lord's property. I want you to see that. Notice with me in verse, um, clue number one here, verse 14, it says that the Lord delivered unto them his goods. I've marked that in my Bible because it's something you gotta remember. They're his goods, his talents. Um, they belong to the Lord, which we know is Jesus. And so the, the talents belong. And then when he comes back, his second coming, verse 19 for after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. He comes and says, okay, I want my talents back. And what did you do with those talents while I was away? And the, obviously this guy, the, the five talent dude, invested and got a 
return on his investment. And he gives it all back to the Lord. That's kind of interesting. So we need to understand, number one, whatever these talents represent, they belong to the Lord. That's an important thing. Um, Question, if this were your giftings and talents, your athleticism, and you're using that for the Lord, or you're a business person that's very smart and have a level of business acumen that's quite profound, and if you use that for the the Lord. um, The problem with that, thinking that that's what it is, I believe that actually is yours. God gives you certain talents. In fact, the Bible even talks about that. In in, uh, Romans chapter 12, we have what is called the motivational gifts listed there for us in Romans 12. And and each one of you have giftings that are different one from another, and and, uh, I believe God gives you that. You you sort of own that by the grace of God. You can sing or play guitar or or you're uh, good with cooking or underwater basket weaving. Whatever your gifting or talent is, um, you've got that, and that's something the Lord gives you. Um, That's important. Um, So the the gifts are things that we have, talents, but that's not what we're talking about here. These talents are the Lord's, but they're entrusted. They're entrusted to the servants. The the, the Lord says, I'm I'm not giving this to you, but I am entrusting you to be, and here's a, a Bible word, stewardship. I want you to be a good steward of that which is mine. Take care of my stuff is kind of what the Lord does. So the first thing we see is the talents are the Lord's property. The second thing we note is the talents are given according to your natural gifts. This is where it gets confusing even more because I could have probably written in here just to be kind of crazy. I could have said the talents are given according to your talents. What do you mean, Brett? Well, this is important for us to see. This is why it's confusing. It's the English translation that stumbles us. Uh, what is it? I think it's the, if you have a New Living Translation, they actually, uh, scholars say, well, that's not an accurate translation. But they say, for the word talent, I think they say a bag of silver. Is that right? You guys have a New Living? Bag of silver. Um, and the scholars go, well, that's not really what it is. But, but I understand why New Living Translation did that because the word talent confuses us in our English language. Bag of silver is actually more helpful in the sense that that's really what the master gives a bag of silver that happens to be a talent in in numeric value, but it's still wealth, money. And then the person invests the bag of silver. Um, So we gotta get away from the word talent because that's not what this is picturing, but this is where it gets tricky. The amount that the Lord gives to the servant, whether it's five, two, or one, is based on the person's ability or talents or giftings. If, if the, the guy that got the five, the idea is he must have already been known by the master to be sort of able to invest. Uh, you know, a smart investor, uh, a shrewd businessman. Um, and so the Lord entrusts that servant with more because he's got a certain gift in that area. And the guy that gets the two, he gets a little bit less because maybe he's not done big investments yet. And so the Lord's slowly working it out where this guy is taking his acumen business-wise, even though it might be less than the other dude, he still got the two talents. And the guy that gets the one, well, he's maybe not a real businessman to begin with and doesn't understand. So, but he's still been entrusted with the one talent. So your talents are given according to your gifts. And we see that um, in verse 15, to every man according to his several ability. That's the King James way of saying, just according to your ability. That's how much talent you get from the Lord, or the, the money, the bag of silver. 
So the talents is the Lord's property. The talents are given according to your natural gifts. But number three, talents can be risked. Talents can be risked. In fact, how do you make a, a double and you know 100% return on your investment? Well, take you guys that do this stuff, you know that it, you have to risk sometimes. And risk is part of the deal. By the way, I heard an interesting sermon once on this that I thought was interesting, but I can't say I hook, line, and sinker agree with it. But I heard somebody say the talent in the story is actually people. And I had to really think through that and think, wait a minute, I don't know about that. But I can see their point. Um, Does the Lord entrust us with people? Well, he kind of does. Especially if you're a pastor, you're called a shepherd or an under-shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. It's talked about those three names in the Bible. But as pastors, we're supposed to be under-shepherds and the Lord sort of entrusts us to shepherd his people um, that he purchased. Uh, Acts 20, uh, the church elders at Ephesus, you know, they were told, you know, take care of the flock, oversee them, because I, the Lord, have purchased these people with my own blood. And we can talk about the pearl of great price and the value that people are. So I get why the person that was preaching this said that the talents are people. But here's where I, I, I think it falls apart, is where talents are risked. Do you risk people to make more people, uh, more, more uh, re- revenue for the Lord? I, I don't think we look at people as revenue or income. Some churches do. I've heard there's a, there's a term that church uh, executives use that I've asked our team never to use. Uh, if you wanna be banished from Athey Creek, just call people at church tithing units. Have you ever heard that term? That's what, they're, they're, read the books. There's a, there's a book, I think it was called Marketing the Church by George Barna years ago, uh, but he called the church members tithing units. Um, and banks tend to do that. If you're taking a loan for a church building, they say, well, how many tithing units do you have? And uh, like, to me, that's, that's horrifying. Um, <clears throat> people are not tithing units. Um, but so I, I, I see what the person was saying because God cares about his people and he wants us to be shepherding, but that's not really what the talent is, but it is linked. I'll show you what I mean. Um, so observe, talents can be risked. That's kind of important. Um, by the way, Hudson Taylor, I love this old, uh, you know, a couple generations ago, he was the great man of faith who founded the China Inland Mission, um, but he integrated faith and risk. He said this, unless there is an element of risk in our exploits for God, there is no need for faith. Um, when I say talents can be risked, um, I, I want you to remember that in the Bible, God actually asks of his people to step out and take risks. And the reason that's so important for today is we've become a culture that is very risk averse. And it's so weird. We've become a mamby-pamby, wimpy society that, man, wear a helmet and a bubble wrap if you ride your bicycle. And, and uh, man, if you crash, it'll feel good. Boom, boom, you'll just bounce around like a beach ball. Like, like the, sometimes when we were kids, the reason it was fun is because it was risky. You might just skin your knee. That's why it was exciting. Um, and, and, and somewhere we've lost this whole thing about risk. If you read your Bible, anybody who did anything worthwhile was risking much. Was young David, as he ran down the valley of Elah with a few stones in his pouch and a slingshot, was it risky that he ran down and met a giant, a Philistine seasoned warrior in battle? Was that a risk? 
Was it a risk? One of my favorite risk stories is Jonathan and his armor bearer there in 1 Samuel. Jonathan, son of King Saul, good dude. Um, Jonathan wakes up early and says, hey, armor bearer, let's get up. Let's go take on an army of Philistines, just you and me, the two of us. And the armor is like, cool, let's go. So they get up and they take off. Everybody else is sawing logs. They take off and they find the huge army and they say, okay, here's how we're gonna know if the Lord's in this. If we expose ourselves to the Philistines, we're over here. Um, and they yell down the cliff and say, you guys, you guys wait there. We're gonna kill you. Then we know God's not in this and we should run for our lives. But if they say, come on up here, you little pipsqueaks, we'll fight you up here, come up here, then that means we're supposed to go fight them and the Lord is on our side. I would have chose the opposite, by the way. Because, you know, climbing the cliff, you get up there, nothing but work, 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 and you're, hold on a second. Okay, okay let's go. Like, but that's what Jonathan is arming. We'll climb the cliff. So they, they revealed themselves to the Philistines. Hey, and the Philistines, hey, you little Jews, you know, come up here, we'll show you a thing or two. And so Jonathan and his arm bearer climbed up that cliff, pulled out their swords, and wiped out the whole Philistine army. Was that a risk? I love that the Lord asks of you and me to risk some things. The first two servants were guys that said, we're gonna be willing to risk, even though this is the Lord's talents. We're gonna go out on a limb here a little bit, and we're gonna invest and, and we're gonna hope that it's, it's good. And, and sure enough, they, they made out good. The other guy was afraid of risk. And so it even says that, he, I'm a, I was afraid. That's what he said. So I buried the talent in a hole in the ground. Um, so that's kind of an important thing. So talents are the Lord's property. These are clues. Clue number two, talents are given according to your natural gifts. Number three, uh, talents can be risked. But clue number four is uh, risk is taken by the servant but as it turns out, the benefit um, belongs to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Um, I like this one. This is kind of important to sort of realize why you and I are doing what we do. Um, you see, the risk is taken by the servant, but any increase was not the servants to keep. That's something we have to remember in this life. Nothing really is our own. Everything belongs to the Lord. And when we figure that out, it's so much more freeing than thinking it's mine. Um, but saying, this, this, belongs, this really belongs to the Lord. Um, uh, and, you know, it's interesting, in verse 27, uh, the bad servant, even, even the Lord says, thou oughtest therefore to put my money to the exchangers or in the bank, and then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. At least I would have got the interest had you at least just put it in the bank. The point is, even that would be a low risk, but at least he would have had a return on the investment a little tiny bit. Um, so this starts to make me wonder, what is, what is the talent? If it's, if it's the Lord's property and it's given to you based on your giftings and talents, your, your giftings and talents, how much you get is based on that. The talents can be risk, um, but risk is taken by the servant, but the benefit belongs to the Lord. I'm gonna give it one word that sort of explains what the talent in the parable really is, and I'm gonna call it opportunities. You can call it what you want, but I, I like this word opportunity because I think that's the point of what Jesus is saying. He gives to you opportunities for investment, opportunities to take what is his and multiplying it, and what's the purpose? 
for the furthering of his kingdom. Jesus is, is gone right now. Our master is gone. We're in the church age and we, his servants, we've been entrusted with all kinds of resources that are not our own. And we should remember they're not our own. But the question is, when the Lord puts opportunity in front of you, what do you do with that opportunity? Are you a faithful servant who's investing the opportunities that, with, with your gifts and talents that you have? Are you doing it for the Lord and for his purpose? That's, by the way, why we should do everything that we do. I love, remember Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Don't do the stuff for people. You do the stuff for the Lord. This is, <clears throat> by the way, um, where 2 Corinthians 5.14 and 15 kind of explains it perfectly. It says, for, for Christ's love compels us. It's the, the love of Christ that makes us do what we do because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You and I, we do what we do because of the love of Christ compels us to do. You see, these first two servants, I'm convinced they're compelled to risk and invest the talents they were given because they knew and loved the master. They wanted, when the master showed up, they wanted to be ready to roll with blessing and furthering of the master's kingdom. They were interested in, in doing what pleased the master. Um, and so they, they, they were compelled because they had a love for the master. And all those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for themselves. The third servant, he's worried about himself. The other two guys threw their self aside, said, we're gonna invest even if it takes risk. And they used the opportunity that the master gave them. See, this is where this idea of opportunities. Um, you know, um, what's interesting is, um, notice with me the levels of opportunity that God gave. The guy that um, you say, he only gained five because the Lord gave him five. He had five to begin with. Um, but the idea is he still risked each of the five. Um, and, and my question for you and for me today is, what opportunities has the Lord put in your place while we're waiting for him to come back? And what would the Lord say? I, I put this in front of you because I want you not to bury it, but to invest this opportunity um, and, and, and see it grow and even double um, and, and serve the purpose of my kingdom? What opportunities perhaps are you missing or am I missing? And so here it is, the Lord puts an opportunity and, and it's linked to your ability. He gives you as many opportunities as your ability. So this is important. What, what are your abilities and what opportunities has the Lord given you? Um, you know, I love, we've got people at our church that model this in, in kind of cool ways. Um, we've got people in history that have done things that model this. You know, I think Billy Graham was given five talents. And Billy Graham used those five talents and he got 100% on his return. The guy led so many people to Christ, millions of people. There's probably people in this room who were saved at a Billy Graham crusade um, because, because he, was, he, he had an opportunity. His gifting happened to be a preacher and preaching the gospel and evangelism. That was his gifting. That was given to him by God. But then the Lord put the opportunity in front of him because you might have a gift of evangelism, but if you go have a crusade in Portland, you might have three people in, Washington, in Pioneer Square who will show up um, who think they're the Messiah. Um, and you, that's your crowd. That's, that's who you're gonna talk to. 
Um, so you would have been given the, the one talent or the two talents, but Billy was given millions of people. And when he had a crusade, the Lord gave him uh, talents to use his giftings to invest and, and multiply. And Billy did that well. Um, some of you uh, have watch parties at your house, even right now. Um, you're using your home. See, some people have homes that are big enough to have a few people over and uh, to do a watch party. And, and that's one of the things the Lord's give, given them, a nice home. Maybe you're a good person with hospitality. Uh, you know how to vacuum and clean the house up and, and make it look cozy and warm and inviting. And maybe that's your gifting. So the Lord says, I'm gonna put an opportunity in front of you. The question is, are you gonna use it? Um, I grew up with that. My mom is quite the interior decorator and she always made our house look cozy. No matter where we lived, we, we always had a cozy house and, and um, clean and, and stuff. And, but we also had people over all the time. We had Bible studies in our house. Um, people come over and, and um, fellowship together. And, you know, and I remember how that worked out. I remember my mom, she cared about her carpet and all that stuff, but she also said, but we're gonna use this for the purpose of the kingdom. And I saw people track muddy boots into her carpet. I watched them spill communion cups on her white couches. Um, I, I watched as the house got sort of destroyed. But my parents kind of thought, this is not our house. This is the house the Lord has entrusted to us. And we're gonna use it for his purpose. They used our house, which is really the Lord's. And because of that, well, that Wednesday night Bible study that we had at our house moved into a bigger Wednesday night to a school and then from a school to a building. And um, by the time I left, when I was 30 years old, the Bible study was, you know, a thousand people. And so it was the Lord using the opportunity that my parents had to open their home. And I love that. There's, there's all our watch party people saying, yeah, come to our house um, and, and we'll use this for the purpose of the kingdom. I love that. Um, we've got auto mechanics. That, that, that's, that's their talent, their gifting. And then the Lord puts the opportunity, what's that? You know, we have single women in our church that maybe, you know, with little kids and they're driving a clunker and their car's falling apart. We've had mechanics that have taken old cars and fixed them up and got them running really good and top notch. And then they've been able to give those and donate them to people in our church that need a real vehicle that's not gonna break down with kids in the car seats on the side of the road. Um, they're using their, their giftings but what's the talent God gives them? The opportunity to use that gifting for free for the furthering of the kingdom, just to love the saints. I could go on and on, but the question is, um, are you using it? You know, we have women that uh, cook meals for women that just had babies in the hospital. When they get home, they come home to these nice, beautiful meals that people in our church cook, and they're amazing. Um, and, uh, and it's just using your, your, you know, who God made you to be and the opportunity, the talent that God entrusts is the, the people that need that kind of love and the opportunities. So, so again, this doesn't mean, I gotta say, this doesn't mean if you're a good cook and you don't use it to bring others to Christ, you're gonna go to hell. <laughs> See, that's where this third person does, that doesn't fit if, if you think the talent is your cooking or your auto mechanicing or your house warming, uh, home, you know, hospitality or whatever. So that brings us, you know, as we look at these servants, servant number one took his five talents and used it big time and was entrusted and did a great job. Why then the two talent person? Because some people, um, they give a little less according to their ability. That's, that's what it says here. Um, you might not have the uh, ability to um, teach uh, evangelistic crusade like Billy Graham. 
but you might just be able to teach in a two and a half and three-year-old class at Athey Creek. And that's your little audience. Uh, well, Brett, that's not two talents. That's like a half a talent. Um, you know what? Uh, it's funny because I've had people come up, Brett, how do I get a Wednesday? I want a Wednesday night Bible study just like you had. In fact, I had one guy years ago come and say, uh, the Lord told me you're supposed to give your Wednesday night Bible study to me. And I was like, well, the Lord hasn't told me that and I'll let you know when he tells me that you can have that. I think he was a poor kid that had been smoking some weed. Um, but anyway, um, but do you know, it didn't start you know, with our you know, 1,700 people on a Wednesday night here every Wednesday night. It didn't start that way for me. I just wanna say this. Because um, some people might say, well, Brett, look what the Lord has given. You, know, you have this platform. Um, and it's always funny because people, have you noticed there's a trend right now to hate megachurches? Um, which I understand. There's been a lot of megachurches that have behaved really badly. Um, but um, it's not about the megachurch or not a megachurch. It's really not about that. We never wanted to be a large church. That was never our intent. We never had church growth planning and we never had, um, you know, what, what did they do? Marketing the church or, or the whole uh, seeker-friendly movement. I was not into that at all. Um, but, but here's how it started for me. It started for me in a classroom of like 35 first grade children. And I started teaching the Bible there. And it was packed full, this little tiny room. We called it the underground church because it was under the basement of an old Western auto building. And they gave me this little room that was like 15 by 10 and like 35 um, first graders. Do you know what kid's breath smells like? <laughs> when you pack a room full of kids, it's amazing. There's an uncanny smell. I can smell it. Uh, when I'm driving by the tents over here, uh, I see uh, the golf cart. I can see, uh, oh yeah, I remember that smell. It brings back all kinds of memories, you know? But it started for me, I went from the first grade class to the two and a half to three year old class every week, every Sunday night. And it was actually Pastor Tad and I, Tad's here at AC right now, but he's mostly in Vanuatu as a missionary in the South Pacific in the jungle. Well, that's what I wanna do, Brad. I wanna be a missionary in the South Pacific. Well, it didn't start for him there either. He was in the two and a half year, three year old class with me, with the beads of condensation rolling down the windows and the steamy breath of children. Why were they two and a half? Well, two and a half is technically the potty train level. Um, you were still in the nursery if you weren't potty trained, but then you'd come to my class every Sunday night if you were officially potty trained. And the truth be told, a lot of parents were a little more optimistic about junior uh, and their ability. Literally, we'd be, Tad and I'd be, you know, the kids would be running around playing, we'd be having a good time, and all of a sudden one kid would just stop and be really still. Like, no, we're not equipped for this. To make matters worse, we were in that classroom every Sunday night for eight years, eight years. And, and um, Sunday nights at our church at that time, we, we um, more often than not had, we had this really cool thing where we did Sunday night concerts. And we had bands, Christian bands from all over the world come and play in this outdoor amphitheater we had, it was awesome. But I was in the two and a half, three year old class during the concerts, and so was Tad. So these parents would grumpily come in, you know, because the crowds and knowing that they had to get out of the traffic, they'd come in and say, uh, where's our kid? Did you change his diaper? And it's like, this is a two and a half year old room. And, you know, I'd, and I was, I was very temperate. My, I'd turn their, I didn't say, here's your little brat back. I didn't say that. <laughs> I was, you know, thank you, God bless you. And they'd take their children. Um, and then to make matters worse, all my buddies, because I was like 19, 20 years old at the time, all my buddies were, Brad, did you, that was the most awesome concert. Did you hear that? I'm like, no. I was suffering for the Savior right here in this class. If you want to join me next week, uh, but never did. 
Tad and I were in that class for eight years. We also taught eventually a class of, of grade schoolers. And, and man, my talents started growing. Not my talent, but the talents God gave me. Because my grade school class, I watched it grow from, you know, just a small little grade school class to 600 kids. Tad and I, we were the only adults in the room. We had 600 kids in our Sunday school class there at that church. And it was really something. The Lord was blessing. And uh, suddenly I, I had a little more. Then they gave me an adult study, Monday night youth studies, they called it, but his youth was a relative term. And, and it was kind of like what I do on Bible study Wednesday nights here, just teaching the Bible. And I, I started doing that for years. And then the Lord stirred our hearts to move to Portland and start a church. And we went back down where my talents got smaller again. Our Wednesday night was a massive four people. I remember Debbie and I on rainy dark nights here in Portland wondering if anybody would come. We'd look out the window at the little, it was actually a Baptist office building in Tualatin where we started our Wednesday night uh, early services. And, and I remember just looking out the window, I wonder if it's just gonna be me and my wife, Debbie, tonight. Um, but you know, one thing the Lord constantly whispered in my ear, because I'll admit there was times in that two and a half and three-year-old class, I was thinking, you know what, why am I here? I want to be an influencer. I should have more likes. We didn't have such a thing back then, but you know, that version of that, I should be more influencing than I am in than a two and a half and three. But I remember the Lord just whispering in my ear year after year, just be faithful in the small things. Just be faithful in the small things over and over again. And I would sometimes have to kind of remember, oh yeah, it's about me just being faithful. The reason I share that is not to sort of brag about my story because it's not, there's nothing really to brag about, but the truth is, it didn't start for me teaching a Wednesday night Bible study that we have right now. And, and in the same way, you know, we see the Lord tends to, he says, man, if you'd be faithful in the small, I'll give you greater things in the future. And, and I wonder how many people buried their opportunities and wonder why there's no opportunities coming. Why they're still sitting around waiting for, well, Lord, I'm open. If you want me to do something for the kingdom. Meanwhile, that one little tiny thing that he gave you, you haven't even done. I wonder if that's starting to get closer. So servant number two represents the guy that got less talents, but he still used them and still got 100% on his return. And the Lord said, good and faithful. So whether you're Billy Graham or teaching in the two and a half and three-year-old classroom, it matters not about your numbers and your platform and your influence. It matters about your faithfulness with the opportunity the Lord's put in front of you. Well, what about servant number three? Well, that's where it gets a little sticky because he went to hell. What do we do with that? Well, that's where we look at servant number three and we realize there's some major differences um, between servant number one and two versus servant number three. Servant number three, I'm gonna show you, I don't see any relationship to, to the, the, the master. It seems to me that he doesn't really know the master very well. Would you agree? The other guys, what was their demeanor when the master returned? Remember the second coming of Christ? What was the demeanor of the return of the master? They were pumped. They were excited. They were bringing their 10 talents and laying it before the master say, look, we have taken the five and I have made 10. And, and, I, and he just laid it down knowing it wasn't his, but knowing he was there because he seemed to me like to want to bless the master. And he was doing it for the master. And, and the master said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Man, you just see nothing but love and greatness and reward and blessing. It's just such a great thing. But this other guy, the third one doesn't come like that. By the way, the same words were used with the uh, servant number one and servant number two. Same blessing, you know, exact word for word, blessing, blessing. 
But this third guy comes up and he says, I know that you're a hard man. Now, if the master is Jesus, which we know it is, there's a question for you. Does this guy know Jesus? Does he know the master? Now, I know some of us have to be careful because Jesus, there is a maybe a version of hard. Just read chapter 23. Remember 23, Jesus hammers the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, and he's brutal to them. One of the most brutal chapters in the Bible is Jesus calling those guys names and calling them out. So there is a hard side of our master, but to the servants who are faithful, there's, there's a definite relationship that's not here in this third servant. The third, third servant seems to miss his nature and his character. Let's, let's review that for a second. Servant number three in verse 24, then would he which received the one talent came and said, Lord. Now you say, but Brett, he called him Lord. But do you remember what Jesus told us in Matthew 7? Many will come and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons? But he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you wicked servant. So Jesus already bluntly told us there's people who say, Lord, Lord, but he's not really their Lord at all. I think this guy's one of those dudes. He says, Lord. He says, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. The word hard um, is correct in translation, but the Greek word is more colorful than our word hard. You might jot this down in your notes. Um, the Greek word is skleros. Uh, the Greek, Greek word skleros, which means hard, harsh, rough, stiff, stern, violent, offensive, intolerable. It's a very colorful word. And it's, it's, it's meant to be sort of almost insulting. To call someone uh, skleros, is to really be in a kind of an insulting word. It's not just, you know, you're a prudent man or wise man. No, it's, it's brutal. You're an intolerable, offensive, brutal person. That's how he starts his thing with the master. Is that the master we as Christians know and love, Jesus Christ? I'm suggesting this guy doesn't know him at all. But he's going on what? Maybe something he's heard about the master? How many atheists have said, well, if you believe the Bible, God's full of blood and guts and he wants to ethnically cleanse entire groups of the Old Testament. Well, when you hear people say that, you realize, oh, they haven't really read the whole Old Testament because there's more to that story. And actually, when he was wiping out the Amalekites, it was one of the most loving, compassionate things that God could have done to save people from the crazy, rabid, sinful bunch of people that were destroying the world. Uh, like people just don't understand. And there's still a lot of people they go, and, and even comedians make fun of Jesus and talk about Jesus. There's a lot of people who don't know Jesus that use his name in vain. Um, and they just throw the name of Jesus out there like a cuss word. That's like this guy. He doesn't really know the master. So he gets it wrong. You're a hard man. And he says, you um, are reaping where you've not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. In other words, you only hire us underlings to do all the work. You're just here for the money or the investment. Now you might say, well, Brett, you're, you're painting this as sort of a bad thing. Well, yes, I am. But you say, but Brett, the master seems to agree. Did you notice that? It's almost like the master seems to agree. But I wanna point this out because scholars who know the Greek uh, text here would also imply that there's sort of a rhetorical agreement. Um, it's kind of like this. Um, when you look at um, you know, verse 26, 
His Lord answered and said, thou wicked and slothful servant. Um, lazy is the word slothful. Um, thou knewest I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. He didn't admit to the hard part, the scleros. He didn't admit to that, but he didn't say you. But, but you know that I didn't sow and reap, but the, the implication here, in fact, I think it's the New Living Translation that even puts the word if there. If you knew that I was this, rhetorically, like, like if I give that to you, that I'm a hard man and that I didn't sow where I reap and all this stuff, then you should have at least put the money in the bank. If you thought that's who I was, implication, that's not really who he is. But if you thought that's who I was, then yeah, at least you should have put it in the bank uh, and got interest. But you didn't even do that. So I don't think the master is necessarily giving him that he's a hard man. But I also would say that Jesus, there is a hard part of him. Jesus is compassionate, merciful, his mercies fail not, but he's also righteous. And in fact, the tribulation period is called the time of the wrath of the lamb. The lamb is Jesus Christ. So remember in Matthew, uh, we talked about um, you know, the, the rock. He's either the stone of crushing um, or the stone of a foundation. You either build your house on the rock that's firm or you build your house on the sand. And, and then the rock, you're either broken before the rock or you're crushed by the rock. Jesus, there is a side to him that is wrath and judgment. There's people who don't wanna talk about that. And that is implied in this story because Jesus was gracious to the humble, uh, faithful servant and merciful, but he's gonna be kind of full of wrath for this servant who thinks he knows Jesus, but really doesn't. So the other servants knew they had a job to do and they wanted to serve the master well. This, this servant, he takes his opportunity, the one talent that he's got. So here's the question. If the talent represents opportunity, as I'm suggesting, what opportunity did servant number three miss? Well, you say, well, he missed the opportunity to invest the one talent um, to further the kingdom as the other servants did. And maybe what we should understand here by this is servant number three missed the opportunity to be part of the master's house to begin with. Remember the other two guys, they got to enter in, good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of the Lord. He said two times to the first guy and the second guy, but this guy, he doesn't invite him into his house because he's not part of this, the master's plan. He didn't really know the master. He just knew of him and what other people may have said about him as a hard man. He was, he was not ready for his return. It doesn't seem like he was ready and waiting for the return of the master. The other two guys were. They were there ready to go with their investment already pulled back and given back to the, the master. They were ready to roll. This guy, if you kind of read into what he said, he says, well, I, I was afraid. That's, that should be a dead giveaway. We as Christians are not to be given over to the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. This guy was afraid, so I buried your talent in the dirt in a hole. And it's almost like he says, and good luck finding the hole. It's somewhere there somewhere. Good luck getting it out. He doesn't even bring the one talent back and offer it back to the master. He just took that opportunity to invest in the kingdom and he buried it in the sand. I wonder what this one opportunity was for investment from him. I wonder if you might even say this was his opportunity to be part of the master's house. And he rejected it. Instead of doing the one thing that, that is, is the master being gracious, saying here's your opportunity to be saved, 
to accept salvation and to, to know the Lord, to know the master and to be a part of his house. But you have rejected that and you don't know me. Depart from me, you wicked servant. And that's why he takes the servant and throws him where there's weeping and wailing and outer darkness. And, and, and I would say to those that reject the opportunity that the Lord puts in front of them to be saved, hell is a real place. And you say, well, Brett, I think if God is love, he's not gonna send me to hell. Exactly. This guy had every opportunity to take that one talent that was given and invest it and say, I wanna be a part of the kingdom and be ready for the master and accept that opportunity to be saved. But he didn't. He buried it in the ground and did nothing with it. Um, don't miss the one opportunity to know the Lord, to believe in the Lord, to follow after the Lord. Um, you know, I love this picture because what could have happened, the master says, you could have at least put it in the bank. See, even if he didn't get much of an investment at all, what if he only got 25 cents of interest um, like you get in the bank today if you invest your million dollars or whatever? You get your 25 cents back. You say, that's nothing. What if, what if that's what he gets? But you know what? I believe there's a bunch of people that are gonna get to heaven just like that. They're the people I joke around. When they get to heaven, we'll all be there. Welcome and, and heaven. And you come in and all of a sudden, <coughs> their, their coattails are on fire. You're like, huh, poof, poof, poof. Hey, welcome to heaven. Woo, you barely made it. <laughs> How did they get there? Maybe on their deathbed as they were laying there as an ardent atheist and hater of God and all their years saying all these horrible things about the Bible and God. But in their heart, they are convicted of their sin. And as they're lying on their deathbed, they say, forgive me, God, for my sins. And I believe in your son, Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. Will that person go to heaven? Well, just ask the thief on the cross. That's exactly what he did. The thief on the cross that believed and Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's a deathbed conversion. I bet there's gonna be people in heaven that we're gonna be shocked that they're there. They'll smell like smoke, but they got there. <laughs> that's, that's this guy, he could have, that's what when Jesus says, you could have at least put it in the bank and done nothing. Because see, that's the point. You can't do anything to add to your salvation. But when you do invest your opportunity that Lord gives you and starts doing investment with that, that's what James talks about. Faith without works is dead. So once you are saved by grace through faith, then there will be a natural byproduct of your salvation. You'll start to see good works. This guy had none of that. He didn't even uh, invest at all or put it in the bank at all. And that's why I would hope if any of you are watching this or, or joining us here today who's not a Christian or you're an atheist, you gotta repent of your sins. You gotta turn to the Lord. In fact, I love Romans 10, verse nine and 10. If you confess with your mouth, this is what you gotta do. This is how you take the opportunity to be saved and you, you, you put it in the bank at least. How do you do that? Confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. Saved by grace, nothing you did to deserve it, or earn it, it's a gift from God. Let's pray together. So Lord, as we go our way this morning, bless these, your people. Give us that eternal perspective. Help us to serve you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Blessings on you. See you next time. You're dismissed.